Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, it's only through the power of the Holy Spirit that our hearts can be enlightened to fathom even just a taste of what it's like to be brought up to where you are and to dwell, Lord, in the, in the power of your glory and the, the magnificence of, of your world. But you and your grace, Lord, and your mercy have brought to us the very things that we need to encounter you and to feel your presence and to dwell uh, in a relationship with you. And I pray that this morning your word would penetrate our hearts to make that real. Um, Lord, we're grateful for you and we're grateful that you are helping us this morning. In your name we pray, amen. Some of you may have noticed that our verger, uh, Brother John, has extinguished the candle. Is that bad? No, it's not meant to say that something's being put out any more than Jesus' ascension is a sign that Jesus has left us. Um, Jesus has not left us in that way. And the candle going out is meant to say that the flame now dwells in here. It's just as strong. Uh, In fact, it's even stronger. In fact, it's hard to imagine, but actually what Jesus did by ascending into his Father's right hand and giving us the Holy Spirit means he's actually more present to us now than he ever was before. And uh, that's just a remarkable thing to fathom. That's why, paradoxically, it seems to us, like if we were writing the story, Jesus ascends to heaven, what do the disciples do? They celebrate. Their hearts are so full of joy. Now, if we were just making up the story, you'd think that at that point, the, the disciples would have kind of sobbed and wept on their way back to Jerusalem, but in fact, it's the exact opposite. And that's why Ascension, which is the uh, feast day that we're celebrating today, is one of my favorite days and one of the most important, uh, but probably least uh, addressed of our um, feasts in the church. For many of us, Ascension's kind of like just an afterthought. But I want us to, uh, today, this morning, just, just kind of relish in what happened on that day and what's happening because of it. Uh, those of you who know me know that I have a really lousy sense of direction. I have a terrible sense of direction. Uh, this is a source of great shame for many years until I just learned how to embrace that and rely on other people who can help me, mostly, sometimes, <laughs> once in a while. Um, and I've learned how to cope with that, but I do love a map where some wonderful person puts a big dot on it that says, you are here. That's my favorite part of any map. If you give me a map, I like it, I like it twice as much if it has that on it. So uh, when I see that dot, you are here, then I can get oriented. I know where I am, and I know where I'm going, and I know how much distance there is between the two. It just changes everything for me, the sense of relief that I feel, because otherwise I have to spend 15 minutes either figuring out where I am or, or just giving up and, uh, and launching out without knowing where I'm going. Um, We're like that a lot in our lives. Uh, How many of us really know where we are in our life? All right, God wants us to have on our hearts a big dot that says you are here. But frankly, the map of our heart has just been 
decimated uh, over time by all the things that we've been talking about here, by sin and trauma and, and, and iniquity as we heard about the other week and things we do and things we avoid and it's just our hearts just a wasteland sometimes. And the work of God is to reconcile our hearts to him primarily, but also to each other, also to ourselves. We're as lost to ourselves as we are to other people. And Jesus wants to put on our hearts a big dot that says, you are here, something that gives us orientation, something that lets us know what we're doing here and where we're going and how we connect those two things. This is a little bit like the disciples before and after ascension. You get the sense when you read the Gospels that the disciples are rounding around without a map. You can kind of feel that once in a while. They go here, they go there, they say the wrong things a lot of the times, they try the wrong things a lot of the times. They, they know they're going somewhere because Jesus is going somewhere, but they don't really know where. But you see a decisive change after ascension. Decisive. They know where they are. Something happened about Jesus' ascension that conveyed something to them that they needed and that they knew and that they understood. And of course, that would be complete with the outpouring of the Holy Spirit uh, in just a couple of days, and we'll be praying about that uh, all this week. Um, those followers of Jesus Christ knew who they were, they know where they were, and they know where they were going, and how radically that would change our lives if we just kind of had a better grasp of that, wouldn't it? How radically our lives would change if our ambivalence about who we are and where we are and what we're doing and where we're we going would be replaced by confidence and trust. Can you imagine how different our lives would be and yet that's exactly the expectation that scripture tells us that we should have. We should know who we are and where we are and where we're going and what it's all about. The key to this is not just that, Je that Jesus ascended to heaven. It's not just a change in the address book. Oh, Jesus. You know, earth, you know, heaven. You know, it's not just that he changed his address. It's he changed his way of being with us. The key to knowing who we are and where we are and where we're going is actually experiencing the living presence of Jesus Christ through the Holy Spirit. That's the compass in our lives. Without it, we're, we're like a boat without a rudder. But with the experience of the living presence of Jesus Christ in us through the power of the Holy Spirit, we have direction, we have faith, even in the stormy waters. The author of Hebrews says that Jesus' resurrection and ascension into heaven is like an anchor. Now, you might be thinking, okay, well, this is already a little bit over my head, so I just want to always give us these reminders when we tackle something like that's so big. First of all, this is not a riddle. We've said this before, and I want to keep conveying it. Jesus is not a riddle. This is not supposed to be so hard we can't understand it. This isn't supposed to be some kind of secret for only smart, scholarly people. All right, this is, you know, this is just not like that. What makes it sometimes difficult to understand is not because it's hard to understand up here, it's because it's hard to understand in here. This is about relationship. 
and I believe me, you may know people like this, I know a lot of people like this, they have PhDs in physics and mathematics, and they get all that. I have a friend who wrote a dissertation. Uh, uh, he's a math major, and he wrote a PhD in math. I could understand the dedication. He dedicated it to his parents. And that's the last sentence in his whole entire dissertation I understood. <laughs> Everything else was completely unfathomable, and there's no way I could give him any, uh, I, I was impressed, but I, I don't really know why. It could have been all wrong. Um, but I'll tell you what, as smart as we can be in here, we can be just as confused and remedial in our hearts. That's why this is hard. Because the ascension of Jesus is about our relationship with him and his relationship with us. And that's why Jesus encourages us. You may have heard this phrase when he tells the disciples, I want you to seek. I want you to ask. I want you to knock because that's more what life is like. Yes, we have to understand a lot and we have to apply our minds, but this part of our faith which Jesus is encouraging us, just like a parent is encouraging their child when they're learning how to walk, you can do it, come on, because the parent knows how good this is. And that's what Jesus wants us to know. This isn't a riddle. So the, the uh, text that we're gonna look at today uh, very briefly is in the, is in the uh, Paul's letter to the church in Ephesus. So you can find that in your um, bulletin. I really encourage you to open your Bibles if you have them. I'll refer to some other passages as well. Um, Ephesians is my favorite letter of Paul's writings. It's a lot of people's favorite because number one, it's short. That's always a good feature. And number two, it's just incredible, all right? And he kind of boils things down in this letter. And I strongly encourage you to just read a chapter a day for the next week. You can do it in one week, all right? There's six chapters, one day for rest. <laughs> it, it, it is a nourishing text. And uh, it's had a profound impact on my life, in part for what we're gonna read this morning. It's, it's an ascension letter. This letter teaches us what gifts we've been given because of what Christ has done for us. And our section this morning actually is a prayer that Paul prays for his beloved church. He loves the church in Ephesus. You can read about it in the book of Acts. Um, he loves this congregation deeply. And they love him. A small group of people, probably no bigger than we are here, maybe even smaller. And Paul loves them, and he prays for them in chapter 1, and if you have your Bibles open, this section is enclosed with another prayer at the end of chapter 3, which is life-changing. I'll refer to it, but these are deeply beautiful prayers. They're not long. I strongly encourage you to pray these for yourself and other people as part of your ongoing prayer life. If you struggle praying, this is a great place to start. Just pray what Paul prayed. It's just the same thing as praying what Jesus prayed. And these are great prayers. They're easy to pray and they're very uh, meaningful and you can pray them for yourself and for others. So first of all, um, we're asking ourselves, in the ascension, where is Jesus? Okay, ascension is just a word to ascend. He, he ascended into heaven. Well, we don't really know exactly where that is. I mean, I don't think it, it's just like farther and farther away in the sky. Um, I think it's probably a dimension. Um, C.S. Lewis, I think, you know, rightly said that heaven's just like right around the corner. 
it's right around the veil. You know, it's, it's more like that. And heaven is the place of God's authority um, and his kingdom. And it's that th- authority and kingdom that's breaking into our world here. And the body of Jesus is there. The manly, earthly body of Jesus is in heaven. All right, he didn't, that's very important actually for us to understand, and this, I'll tell you why in a second. This gets to the map, all right? His body exists. It's there. Now, that's really important for us. In other words, it's not a spiritual body the way that we think of spirits as like disembodied. It's a resurrected body. It's a new body, and here's why this is important. It's that kind of body we're going to have. We're going to have a body, Paul says, like his glorious body. That's really incredible, okay? So on our map of where we are here, we're going to a place where this body is going to be remade. Do you know that? Do you know that that's your destiny? You're going to have a new body like his glorious body. How come? Because he won the victory. That's why. He defeated death. His body did not see corruption. It ascended into heaven. And as, and here I'm just going to throw out some really wonderful quotes from the Bible. He's the first fruits. That's a Jewish term of harvest. All right? Of many. He's, he's uh, the new Adam. As an Adam, all died, all in Christ we made alive. That first fruit, he's our brother. He's the captain of our salvation. His body, it says in Hebrews, went behind the veil of the temple where nobody was supposed to go, but he could. And he did that all for us to guarantee that when we die, we will rise again with a glorious resurrected body that will never die again. That's where we're going. It's very helpful for me to think about that as I'm, you know, I just turned 50. So it's just starting to slow down a little bit there. All right, this life is not the end. We're here on this map, but we're going there, there where Jesus is. He's there now, right now. Can you, can you imagine that? He's not a historical figure. He's the living Lord Jesus. And he's not just a spirit. He's got the body of a human. And that's why it's so important when Paul says that the effect of, um, of Jesus, and you can read this in verse 20, that he, God worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and he seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. Now, we say that a lot in our liturgy, that Jesus is seated at the right hand of the God the Father. That's a sign of authority. When you sit, it's a metaphor for completion. When you go to visit, uh, you know, one of those Middle Eastern kings, you know, you stood. They didn't. When you followed your disciple around, the, the, uh, I'm sorry, when you were a disciple and you followed your master around, they sat, you stood. It's a sign of authority. It's a sign of completion. We're done now. And in that aspect, in the aspect of having risen from the dead and entered into 
the fellowship of God the Father and God the Son and God the Holy Spirit at God's right hand, to, to, to take that place means something was decisively completed, and it is the new body. And that's why we say he reigns. That, that rule and authority means that all of the powers of darkness which have been unleashed, which are nearly unfathomable in their strength, they have been no match for Jesus. He died, he rose again, he ascended, and he sits at the right hand of God the Father, not just a little bit above, but far above, Paul says, far above all the other authorities. This is not like Star Wars where there's this competition. Jesus has no competitors. He's in it uh, as the the conquering king himself and he reigns far above all the others. And that is what gives us great hope because that's our purpose and destiny. That's one of the beautiful things about ascension. His body's in heaven. However, Jesus is uh, God the Son and that body is not restricted in the way that our bodies are, and that's why he is called Emmanuel, God with us. Through the power of God the Spirit, which is not a force, but a person, through the power of the Holy Spirit, which is given to us as Jesus ascends, the Spirit makes the presence of Jesus Christ known to us. That's his job description. The Holy Spirit is here in a certain way to make the presence of Jesus Christ known in its fullness, which means we ought to feel love. We ought to feel that he's on our side. Do you know, in Romans, Paul says that the Son, Jesus, in this case now, because he's acting, he's standing in God's presence, interceding for us right now. Our names are right now being presented to God the Father by God the Son for our triumph and our victory and our wholeness and our reconciliation. That's God the Son. And God the Holy Spirit is conveying the truth and the reality to that right in here. It ought to be felt. It's not an abstraction. In fact, I hope you can see that there's nothing about God that's abstract at all. God is a father. He has a son with a body. He has a Holy Spirit that dwells in us and knows our spirit. And all of this is, again, what God is doing because Jesus dwells in heaven. So that's the map God is going to take us to the new world and give us a new body, and he's working in our life right now to prepare us for it. So this life is not all there is. It's hard to imagine. This life is very important, but it's not all there is. And that's why on the map that we see with you are here, it's way beyond the boundaries of this life. Our completion comes in another life, not in this one. 
Now, here's where I, I want to say what kind of the so what of some of this, this stuff. This is really like mind-blowing stuff, but I, I want to kind of boil it down a little bit to, okay, what does all this actually mean for us? Well, it's very hard to know what to do or what to understand in your life if you don't know what the bigger picture is. You know, it, it, there's, a, there's a fine line between, uh, you know, if you think of running on a, tre- uh, well, running on a treadmill, you know, treadmills are pretty torturous no matter how you, you think about it, but imagine going on a tread- treadmill and saying to yourself, I'm gonna run as fast as I can on this treadmill for 10 seconds. All right, that's, I'm gonna be tired after 10 seconds, uh, but that's not overwhelming to me. Now, what if I'm, captured by enemy forces and my torturer comes to me and he says, I'm going to set this treadmill and I'm going to want you to run as fast as you can, but I'm not going to tell you how long. All right. You see the great, vast psychological difference between one scenario and the other? One is, I know I'm I'm running fast on both occasions, but in this one, I know it's 10 seconds. In this one, I don't know how long it's going to be. See, context really matters in the way that we live our lives. It, it, it helps us to know how to exert ourselves and how to have faith and confidence. And what God is saying is, you're not on this treadmill indefinitely. I've won the victory for you. Okay, now let's look at the challenge you're facing in your health, in your finances, in your relationship, with your children. And do you realize how important it is to know that there's a bigger context than just the crisis? There's a bigger context than just the crisis. The crisis is so bad. It's so hard to be in a crisis. But what makes it overwhelming and traumatic is when you have no context. You don't know how long it's going to go on. You don't know what the outcome will be. You don't know what the impact will be. You don't know if you're going to be okay or those who you love are going to be okay. You just don't know. And Jesus wants to settle right into that place and to say to you, there's a bigger picture. You haven't lost your way. This life is not going to be the final outcome. I've purchased something for you that is so great that it's bigger and stronger than the crisis that you're facing right now. You're not on the treadmill indefinitely. There's going to be an end to this, and it's going to be one that, is, that I am holding in my hands. And that's so important. Friends, you can say that with great confidence because Jesus ascended and sits at the right hand of God the Father where even now he's interceding for you and has given you his Holy Spirit to hold you tight in that moment. That's why this is so important. That's why knowing where you are on the map is so critical. You ought never to be alone. You ought never to feel alone. The Holy Spirit's there to give you great comfort. That's part of his name. So when we're trying to think about all this and, and apply this to our life, part of the application simply, first of all, is to make a choice to know the Holy Spirit better. These are applications that I've gleaned from Ephesians and I'm just kind of summarizing them for us. Make a choice to know the Holy Spirit better. Don't ignore the Holy Spirit. Paul calls this grieving the Holy Spirit in chapter four, verse 29. Don't ignore him. 
make a choice to get to know him better. Now, you, you may say, I've never, I don't even know what you're talking about, and that's okay. I often feel like that myself. You know, we're, this is the eternal God we're talking about. And so he's eternally rich. And our lives change, and sometimes things go in and out of focus. That's okay. Make a choice. Say, Holy Spirit, I want to know you better. Do you know one of the last prayers in the Bible is, come, Holy Spirit. And I want you to know that you can ask the Holy Spirit to fill you more. Tonight, we're going to have an awesome opportunity to do just that. Tonight, we have Oasis and our Bishop Stewart's coming, a man who's filled with the Spirit and loves to pray for people to be filled with the Holy Spirit. What a great opportunity to start off saying, Spirit, I want to know you more. Frankly, you, you frighten me a little bit. I don't know about all that stuff, but start where you are and make a choice. We're going to be praying all week long. Uh, between this Sunday and next, which is Pentecost, for an outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Start, make a choice right now to know the Holy Spirit better. Don't ignore him. He's God the Spirit, and he wants to be known. Do you know what he's doing? We've said this often in here. Paul says the Holy Spirit bears witness with our spirit that we're his children. He cries out in our hearts, Abba, Father. He's praying through you and in you already. Make a choice to get to know him better and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Secondly, listen to what the Holy Spirit says. You know, he's a talker, the Holy Spirit. He cries out, Abba, Father. Paul says he groans when we groan with groanings that cannot be understood. They're unfathomable. He speaks in you and through you. Sometimes through other tongues, the Bible says. Imagine that. That'd freak some of us out, huh? He conveys to you the presence of Jesus so that you can feel it. This is what we're learning about in our engaged groups is how to feel. I hope my daughter won't mind if I tell a little, it's not too lacking in confidential. She went for prayer with Bishop Todd at our, um, don't worry, I'm not going to say anything embarrassing. She, she went forward for prayer with Bishop Todd. Some of you met Bishop Todd. He's a very striking person and, and a very great prayer person, and Talia was emoting, as you know Talia can do. Uh, that's, that's my favorite part about Talia. And, and she was expressing some, you know, some, some apology. I'm sorry I'm, you know, emoting so much or however you said it. But this is what I loved about Bishop Todd. He said, are you kidding? He said, 90% of the people that I'm praying for in this massive room right here can't feel a thing. I, that was remarkable to me. I'm still thinking about that. And what we're learning about in our engaged group is to feel. Oh, it, it's taken me a long time to work that into a sermon because if there's one thing I can't, that irritates me in our culture, uh, is just this is kind of feelings run amok. Uh, if, if, if I don't, how can, what's that awful song? How can something feel so good and be so, I'm massacring the words, but you know, right? It's just awful. We, we're not slaves to our feelings. That's not what I'm talking about. But, however, I will go all the way to the opposite side and say we have a crisis of not feeling. And that has to be addressed. We cannot grow in Christ